0: Hello, our country pals. It's me, Melanie Tate, one half of the Mel and Kim Super Team. Now, before COVID struck, I was a playwright, and now things are getting a little bit back to normal. And one of my plays, The Appleton Ladies Potato Race, is coming to a theatre near you. I hope it tells the story of what happens when Penny decides to try and make the prize money of the Appleton Ladies Potato Race equal between the men's race and the women's races, and the whole town melts down. It's a comedy. It's pretty funny. Um, I mean, it's like funny. It's about something that's not funny, but it is funny. Um, (laughs) It's original six-week run in Sydney sold out before it even opened. And now the original cast is hitting the road over May and June across New South Wales, Queensland and Victoria. And there's a brand new production happening at the State Theatre Company of South Australia in Adelaide too. Here's the thing. I know that you'll love it because it's got a fair bit of ACP DNA in it. A bunch of it's actually set in the local doctor's surgery. And I really wanted the nearest big town to be called Burrigan, but was talked out of it by the director at the last minute. So I would love you to come and see it. You'll need to book fairly soon, though, as most of the theatres it's going into still have limited capacity. The Appleton Ladies Potato Race, it's called. We'll link to tour dates in our show notes and on the A Country Podcast Facebook page. Thank you so much for listening to this message. Now on with the show, this is it. Hello, 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 I'm Melanie Tate and this is A Country Podcast where I'm joined by Australia's foremost expert in the fashion of Molly Jones, Kim Lester, to talk about a show that turns the big four oh this year, the Australian classic A Country Practice. Hey
1: Mel, and yeah, we're talking about one of the most legendary episodes
0: ever today. Yeah, I think it's surely the one with the most famous guest star, Kim. Do you reckon more famous than Nicole Kidman? Look, I'm going to say more famous than Nicole Kidman, because I reckon there would be some people in Australia like that wouldn't know Nicole Kidman. I don't think there's anybody in Australia that wouldn't have known this guy at the time. Although my son walked in
1: the room while he was on the screen and said, who's that
0: today? <laughs> <Did I? laughs> <laughs> who are we talking about?
1: It's, uh, so this episode is Listen to the Children from Series 6 and Bob Hawke, the Prime Minister of Australia,
0: came to town. We're going to have a chat as well with the writer who wrote his speech and hear about how you get a Prime Minister to appear on a TV show. Also, we're going to find out how professional Bob was at learning his lines, Kim. Oh, very interesting. Can't wait. Kim, before we go on, though, I just want to ask you, can you imagine living in a world where you'd want your PM on your TV show? (laughs) Can you imagine Scott Morrison on some drama? Like, no, thank you. I don't think I'd like to see that. I, you know, I think we look back on
1: Hawkey's appearance with some rose-coloured glasses as well. I've read a few letters to the editor that were none too impressed about Hawkey's appearance
0: oh really yeah. oh my gosh
1: so as like propaganda kind of thing it was oh poorly my- timed but I'll talk to you about that uh later on hey Mel yes Kim I'm in lockdown I've my kids have an extra three days of school holidays oh I'm kind
0: goodness. of over it already do you <laughs> want to do the recap this week I would love to do the recap from my non-locked <laughs> down house Kim in I shouldn't have said that I shouldn't have said that I should knock on wood oh no saying it's that. yeah 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 you just um, never know Look, Kim, there are two major plot points in these episodes and they meld together in a really beautiful way. You'd almost think that Larry David from Curb Your Enthusiasm and Seinfeld did this because in my mind he's the king of plots that meld. Um, <laughs> and I, I think we're about to dig into a country practice at its most political, yeah. or, you know, most political. At the beginning of the episode, we meet Major Clarence Duggan, who's a return serviceman and a resident of Wandon Valley's aged care wing, the Muldoon Wing. Now, I'm not sure why he's in there for any other reason than he's old. I think the Muldoon Wing is like where the old ones live. Yeah, I think it's just an excuse to have older actors because none of them are (laughs) older or they're old, but they're not infirm. You know, it's like these days, if you go into care, it's because you can't look after yourself. Whereas the major, you know, he's mobile. He has all his marbles. He's an upright citizen in the world. He's very well dressed. He's put together. He makes good conversation. So I don't know what he's doing there. But anyway. Yeah. so he's getting ready to head off to his army reunion at the club he's really excited he's all dressed up in his finest and he's excited about the day and he gets to the club and unlike last year when there were 12 there from his battalion there's only two men at this year's reunion and they're both pretty infirm Mm. it sends the major into a major deprush yeah, it's that's depression. So sad. Yeah, it's sad. Meanwhile, can't stop progress panto villain, <laughs> Councillor Muldoon. Is hang try- on, hang on. You can't stop progress. <laughs> <laughs> You're so good at that because you live in Queensland. Yeah. <laughs> <That's- laughs> um, C- Councillor Muldoon, he's trying to bring an army base to town, and resident anarchist Shirley Gilroy is banding a petition around trying to stop it. She completely bypasses Joe and doesn't ask Joe for her signature. Jo and her pals at Burrigan High School have got their own worries. They're all getting increasingly teen angsty about the Cold War between Russia and America, and they don't want an army base bringing them closer to it. A friend of Joe's at school, Glenn Horton, goes on a vandalism spree because he's so pent up about it, and the kids protest his expulsion or his possible expulsion, and teacher Peter Manning Convinces them to get more real about their activism, to write letters to politicians, etc. because we all know how valuable and how, uh, you know. Effective. Effective. Effecting. That was writing a letter <laughs> to your local politicians. Well, is. Mel, well, little tease for you. Yeah. I
1: have a cracker of a story for the social history segment.
0: Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I hope it's about when you changed a law through a letter no. as a... <laughs> It's not a Blester story, no. Oh, damn, <laughs> damn. Now, Joe writes a letter to the PM of the day, a Mr. Robert J. Hawke and she and asks if he listens to children quite <laughs> poignantly at the end. The kids of Burrigan High stage a peaceful protest about the army base when Muldoon is showing some of the army officers around London Valley. Muldoon melts down and we have a really beautiful moment actually when our beloved major emerges from his deprush behind the kids and he gives a pretty righteous anti-war speech. <laughs> Muldoon goes crazy. He heads over to Frank Gilroy's house to ball him out and dob in the kids for the protest. But guess what, Muldoon? Frank gave them permission, so go home. Frank's totally (laughs) getting some from Shirley that night for sure. (laughs) Cut to a few weeks later. and The Burrigan High kids are still fighting the good fight and they've put on a rock concert at the showground to raise awareness for the No Nukes campaign. Everyone's there in T-shirts, they're dancing, they're having fun except Muldoon, of course. (laughs) Even Major Clarence is having a dance. Bless him. So great. Like I cried when I, when I saw all that. Yeah. Then guess who shows up to tell Joe Loveday that politicians listen to kids, Kim? Guess. I can tell you who didn't show up. Scott oh, Morrison did. wasn't there. No. <laughs> <laughs> he was not. He couldn't be bothered leaving his office and going the few hundred metres. Now, that's a really interesting parallel to make. Bob Hawke took a bloody Hercules jet to get to this, whereas old mate couldn't walk 200 metres to there the women's protest. There are so many interesting parallels to make with this episode. Oh, my God, we'll I cannot wait. It. We're going to get to it. I'm so excited. So guess who got there? You didn't guess, Hockey, Hawkey. Hawkey. Yeah, Hawkey, of course, Hawkey. Yes, he did. He gives a speech, he solves the nuclear crisis, and we all dance to the credits. I cried, <laughs> Kim. Did you cry? I didn't cry,
1: but it was it was fantastic. I was so struck by the parallels with the youth climate movement.
0: Don't, yeah you? absolutely like, wasn't yeah just of course. so the language
1: in it the language the anxiety of that the children are feeling that the youth are mm-hmm. feeling about this impending doom that they just yep. don't have any say over or any control over and the division between older and younger people as well you know but you know you've got those voices there's few voices like shirley and like um the major who's kind of speaking from his own past experiences but then you've got like uh, Bob and Cookie, who just want to cash in, they've, uh, uh, I've just got to say. <laughs> textbook Bob and I love, Cookie. I love how they started. So textbook Bob and Cookie, they bought a uh, rickety old bus to do up <laughs> for the um, – Uh, for when the troops come to town. But um, when that didn't work out, they turned it into the peace bus. And there was like actually (laughs) – do you know the peace bus? There was a peace bus going around in the 80s driving around. It's in the National Museum. I don't know if it's on display there. But um, Google it. Look up the peace bus. That's what they were doing.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. Fantastic. You're you're so right, though. That was the thing that really struck me when Mm. I – because I watched it a few months back first, Kim. Yeah, And it was – One of the things I think at the time I said to you that really struck me is how every generation has something that really separates them, doesn't it, from the sort of ruling generation and upsets them. I don't – I can't – oh, yeah, we had the Iraq War. I was just going to say what did we have that we thought was going to sort of – I feel like it was the Iraq War was probably – but it wasn't as – pressing and i didn't feel life and death for us about yeah it. that the, yeah. these kids really did didn't they yeah. in this show and and younger kids do about climate changes they
1: yeah you can understand i that mean they we do. were talking about greenhouse gases and cfc's and the hole in the ozone layer and that sort yeah. of stuff when i was a kid and i guess there was a bit of anxiety around that but not but that it was going to kill us just no that it was and make it wasn't hot. it wasn't the same level of yeah. of doom but um yeah, I was, I was so struck by that. It was really I just found that really interesting. And I guess also the other really interesting thing was the different ways that they handled it, listening to the kids, you know, listen mm. to the children. I was so fascinated when Frank suggested to Terence that he speak to Glenn because he Frank coming at it not from such a law law and order point of view. Uh so, so what happened was. the kid?
0: Yeah, that vandalized
1: Yeah, and Frank recognised that Glenn was feeling anxious and that it might have been more of a psychological issue and they actually explored the psychology of it in a scene where Glenn spoke to Terence and I was really moved by that. We
2: read the papers, you know.
1: We watch TV. We're not stupid. We know what's going on.
3: Who's we?
0: Us. Us. The kids. It was amazing, wasn't yeah. it? Because really, yeah. like, don't you think um, just the whole way, like you said, in both episodes, that the children are listened to, that they're, that punishment isn't wrought upon them because they all do so many things that I was thinking when I was at school, like, I was nearly expelled for running away from school once. Mm. I would have <laughs> definitely been expelled for, like, holding a – um A protest. A, a, yeah, a protest, a, a, um, you know how there's the, the bit where they're holding Peter Manning in yeah. the classroom? they barricaded the door. They barricade they- the classroom. Mm. That would be, and, and there's not much punitive that goes against them. Like everybody listens to them and, and understands their they're, that they're upset. And, again, we have that little lefty paradise that is Wandon Valley. Like I think this is peak Wandon Valley lefty par- paradise because yeah. at the end everybody is literally dancing together Yes. For peace, you know. Yeah. It is it is just so, and together across the generations, mm. basically holding hands and agreeing on something and bonding over it. I mean it's where you remember that this is a television show and not a real country town.
1: Yeah, and uh, just the more I think about it, every aspect of this episode was demonstrating how to listen to children, how to actually hear them because obviously it was called Listen to the Children and Peter Manning was sort of Pushing everybody else to just stop and listen, and he was trying to, you know, tell the children, "I'm here to listen. I can't help you unless you tell me what's going mm. on." And then Terrence listened to the children by having that um, appointment with Glenn and and sort of unpacking the psychology of it. And then um Shirley listened to Joe in the moment where Joe read her letter th- to Bob Hawke.
2: Dear Mister Hawke, I am writing to you because I thought you might be able to do something about the terrible mess the world is in today. Every time I look at a paper or see the news on TV, I hear about fighting in other parts of the world and it makes me glad I live in Australia. But there is another fight going on and if it gets out of hand, it won't make much difference where I live.
1: And then I guess uh, Muldoon is sort of there to demonstrate how not to listen to children and and what a fool you seem like
0: when you refuse to listen to them. And on a macro level, the PM listens to
3: children.
2: (laughs) Now, first... Let me say this, I'm worried too. I'd be a fool if I wasn't. I give you this assurance that anything I can possibly do to help remove this threat, anything within my power that I can do to enable you, the kids of today, the adults of the future, to grow up with a long and peaceful future stretching out in front of you, I will do. This is my pledge to you.
1: Although, although, Mel, this brings Mm. me to a bit of controversy about about the PM's uh, appearance. So, someone who will remain unnamed because she's probably in a position now where she shouldn't demonstrate her allegiances. However, she sent me a letter to the editor that she wrote when she was 14 years old along with a letter from Bob Hawke's personal secretary which was in response to a, a letter that she herself had written to Bob Hawke about nuclear war so she wrote a letter to Bob Hawke much like Joe did said I'm very concerned about nuclear war what are you going to do about it Hawke got his secretary onto it she sent some you know carbon copy yeah we're very concerned as Thanks well so much, thank man. you very much for your yeah. concern blah 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 This was not enough for the unnamed person. She was very unimpressed when she turned on her television and lo and behold, there was Hawkey up there saying, I am here to listen to the children. This is what she wrote. I do not approve of the Prime Minister of Australia appearing on a country practice. I wrote a letter to him expressing my concern for nuclear war and received a letter from his secretary who wrote about the great policies the Labor Party has for nuclear war. The Prime Minister didn't sign it, yet he can spend a day performing on a soapy answering to a fake letter. Unnamed Unnamed, 14 Hornsby
0: Heights. Do you know what, though, that's, you could spin that too and say that maybe, I mean, who knows whether that letter and letters like it led to Hawkey going, you know what, like he gets the phone call saying, you want to be on country practice talking about, and, you, and he's like, I'm sick of getting all these letters yes. from kids. I'm just going to address this. Just going to talk to all of them. I'm mean, going to talk to all of them and yes. do this
1: now. I mean, that's actually a really good point. And in my social history segment, I'll talk to you about a particular kid. Uh, some people might already know what I'm talking about, but one particular kid who wrote some letters and really did have some effective results as because of it. But it really demonstrates just how much anxiety kids were feeling at yeah. the
0: time. God, it's so interesting, isn't it? It's so mm. interesting. The One thing as well, Kim, I'd love to talk with you about is I just really loved – that um, that reminder of loneliness in mm. older people, mm. and God, and how we still haven't. In fact, we've gone downhill since then. Because if you look at the care that um, Major Clarence gets in the People's Republic of Wannan Valley in the <laughs> Muldoon Wing, he's so um, he is really cared for. He's loved. He's not dismissed. Uh, Matron Sloan and Jen, um, Donna. Donna. Yeah. Why did I say Jenny. Donna and Jenny is basically the same name. That's why. <laughs> staple um, 70s Staple yeah, name. <laughs> staple <names. laughs> Donna is so this is this is actually an episode where I really love Caroline's performance mm. in this as Donna because she's just you can see her lovely self in it, can't you? Like yeah. she's so kind and loving and really cares about him, notices that he's not home on time, notices that you know, all these things that, I I don't know, it just made me, f- you know, with the Royal Commission on Aged Care recently and, mm. and how, how dire things are for our aging population. It just was a great reminder that we need to value them and spend time with them and, yeah, you know, not let people be lonely because he was so lonely, wasn't he? he and was. so, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I just, I can't, I can't imagine, although I guess it's something that, you know we may or may not face as we get older is just that experience of having this annual event and every Mm. year the numbers just get smaller and smaller (sighs) and smaller and we're so connected in other ways now that probably a death won't pass us by in the same way that Mm. you know all of his friends deaths would have passed him by so I guess that's you know social media will mean that we'll probably always know when somebody you know when like the last remaining five members mm. of our high school class have died, or you know, um, yeah,
0: it must be really difficult. My grandfather was the last of his battalion, mm. um, and just every year, I think it it got sadder and sadder for him. And we kind of we forget that they're human beings like we are that had friendships and kind of, you know, don't mm. we? Like, yeah. I think it, I think that character is a really beautiful one. He's one of my favorite characters.
1: Yeah, do you know what makes me think as we get older. We become less interested or passionate, or we just become defeated by problems we just don't know how to solve. And don't you think that, like the young, the youth in this show and the youth of today, are are outspoken because they haven't been defeated by that yet? Whereas we sort of go, we look at elderly loneliness or the problems with aged care or um, nuclear war or um, you know climate change and just go, oh, so it's all just too hard. Yeah, you know? And so we just kind of shut our minds off to
0: it a bit. Oh, my God. We shouldn't. We should it's let the country practice inspire us into action, Kim. Absolutely. And go and be company for some old people or something yeah. like that at an aged home. Like it just, yeah. you know, that just sort of, he, he broke my heart. Mm. But he was also... But also on the flip side too, he demonstrated something that I can never understand with. So I was thinking about him. I was thinking, why does he not live at home alone anymore? Because he can do all his own stuff. Mm. But who wants to live at home alone? Like I live alone. I'm so bloody over it. Like nobody wants to be alone all the time. Yeah. So of course, like if, you're, if you can go into the Muldoon Wing and have a lovely clean room and Lovely nurses who talk to you every day and you can come and go as you please, like Clarence did. Why wouldn't you want that? That's what I think aged care actually should be. You know, that we go in, like, let's all buy a motel or something like that, Kim, when we're about 70 and just move in there before we're buggered (laughs) and have a, you know, like have a a motel room for a nurse. And as everybody gets buggered, you know, it's about choice, isn't it? And the other thing, too,
1: is though, is that a person might seem like, they're very capable because they're being cared for. But when they're not being cared for, mm. that look of capability would not be as obvious. So he he looks very capable and yeah. like he can do anything for himself. But other people are making his food for him and other people yeah. are cleaning his clothes for him. And all of that sort of day-to-day stuff that comes with adulting, it's yeah. actually a bit exhausting, exhausting and tiring and physical and, you yeah. know, ha- and requires thought and planning and all of that stuff can become overwhelming and I like I've known people I've known someone in particular who was really struggling like an elderly person um in their sort of final weeks at home just plummeted you know just Mm -hmm. in in terms of depression in terms of their memory and their ability and they were having funny spells and all of this and then they went into aged care and they, you know, all of that just kind of vastly great. improved.
0: Oh, that's so great. And company. And there's company and there's- Company
1: and care and, yeah. you know, and it's like I, I don't want to say that's the solution because obviously there are so many different experiences and there are mm. some really horrible experiences for people who go into aged care as well. I guess it's just... I guess what I'm trying to say is, as always, there's nuance. I'm always yeah. trying to say that. But also... um, <laughs> You know, somebody might seem like they're very capable of looking after themselves, but it might yeah. just be because they are having that burden, mm. they've had that burden Lifted. taken from them. And
0: sometimes you do want to be looked after. Yes. You know, a few yeah. years ago, about five years ago, I had a major depression mm. and went into a facility, like a a, um, a clinic for three, like an inpatient clinic, like a yeah. mental institution for three weeks and... I cannot tell you how – I think. just think everybody should do it for three weeks if they can or if they have a need to because basically the greatest thing about it was being looked after for three weeks.
3: Mm. Like, you
0: know, if you live on your own, you're doing everything. Like you're making your own dinner every night. You're doing all your washing. You're doing everything. Somebody does everything for you in those places. And so it's really like you're able to get better because your brain is on nothing but just getting better because everything else is being done for you. So I wonder if there's something – wonder if that's going on for major clarence as
1: oh well. i just yeah i just don't think you can ever underestimate being cared for yeah, you know? oh, yeah. amen
3: to
0: that kim well Absolutely. shall we shall we move on and go to our social issue
1: yes let's do it and i think i've teased it plenty but um uh in a moment i'll talk to you i'll i'll you know make my way through the whole nuclear war stuff which
0: <laughs> what's the what to say I
1: struggled with
0: (laughs) what's the midnight oil song um the U.S. US forces forces. (laughs) so Kimothy what's the deal with the nuclear debate in Australia
1: do you know I've worked out with this episode I've worked out that Uh, A country practice in Melbourne was about five weeks behind a country practice in Sydney. So these episodes aired on the 21st and 22nd of July in Sydney and the 25th and the 26th of August in Melbourne. The reason I worked that out was because when I was doing my research for this episode, I always try to Google the date of the episode to see Mm -hmm. if there's been any sort of just general reaction to the show. And I was expecting quite a lot of reaction to Hawkey being on there. It was, I was—I found nothing. I found, I found nothing positive, and I found a couple of uh, just like negative reviews and stuff. But I mean, the archive that I searched really only has the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age going back that far, so it's not a widespread survey, right? Anyway, the reason that I'm telling you about this six-week gap, five or six-week gap, Mel, is because. The timing of the Melbourne airing actually turned out to be a little bit unfortunate. On the 21st of August, the Labor Caucus voted 74 to 42 to resume sales of uranium to France, which, yeah... Total backflip on ALP party policy. And then a few days later on the 25th of August, which was the day before Hawkey's appearance, the front page of the Melbourne Age read, Anger rises in ALP on uranium. 1986 is the international year of peace. And it's also the year that the Chernobyl nuclear power plant disaster happened on the 26th of April. So this was like a massive year for anxiety of war and nuclear nuclear sort of use just as a little aside because i do try to do this each time the number one song in australia when these episodes aired in sydney was living doll by cliff richard and the young ones and really i'm only telling you this Mel, because cliff was a road trip staple for the blesters
0: oh was he blessed
1: does it get any more blessed than that It's pretty blessed.
0: It's pretty (laughs) Pretty
1: blessed. We used to listen to Cliff Richard as we drove between Rockhampton and Brisbane.
0: Oh, blessed. Blessed. (laughs) Um, It's really, Cliff Richard is is actually responsible for one of the greatest songs of the 1980s. Suddenly the wheels are in (sighs) motion. Yes. Because I, I (laughs) am ready to sail. There's some weird stat about him
1: that he's had like a number one song in every decade from something like the 50s to the 2010s or something. I heard that on Graham Norton. And you just think, really? Yeah. Him?
0: (laughs) Yeah, you do because Living Doll, like what an average song that is. So many average songs on that cassette that my parents used to play. Did they have suddenly on it? Was it like the best of? Um,
1: suddenly doesn't really. No, I don't think suddenly. I think it was more of the older stuff. So it was like, we're all going oh, on. Oh, God, summer holiday. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, I mean, I personally feel that they redeem themselves with Billy Joel, but that's just oh, my own personal yeah. taste. I love a bit of Billy. Me
0: too.
1: And, you know, a bit of Frank Sinatra. Yeah, great. Yeah. It wasn't all bad. Anyway. Okay putting that to one side. Now let's talk nuclear blah blah blah. I got a confession to make. Mel I just i I put off researching this topic until <laughs> we yesterday. We put off doing this episode. I mean for I genuinely so was falling to pieces about 2 weeks ago, so I'm very glad that we put that off. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, I think I put off uh researching this topic because international relations is a weak spot for me. Like getting my head around China and Russia and getting the will to want to get my head around it, the South China Sea, the Cold War, all of that is just a total slog, Mm, I'm sorry to say. And I know it's important, but my brain refuses to make space for it. I understand. I'm so glad. I'm I'm so so glad because that's like a, it's a secret shame. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) When I worked at... um, Uh, university law school in like their media relations and there was something happening about the South China Sea and everyone else was like oh that's going to go really well let's do that I was like oh really can someone explain (laughs) it to me I have tried this this is it it, it, people are interested in this yeah they're okay all right they're interested in this okay all right sure (laughs) anyway (laughs) um So here is a very basic list of things that Wikipedia says led to the softening of the nuclear arms race from 1985 to 1987. And if this topic is a passion for you, I'm
0: sorry. I just want to say I'm sorry. I've got the feeling we're not going to have many listeners who are passionate about (laughs) the nuclear arms race. Yeah. Of the 80s. Like, I don't know. It seems
1: like it was so big. But anyway, in 1985, Mikhail Gorbachev became the general secretary of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. And although he favored the ideals of a socialist state, the ailing Soviet economy prompted him to focus on measures for economic turnaround rather than the arms race with the US. This led to a thaw in the relationship between the Soviets and the USA. Ooh. And. <laughs> Following negotiations. (laughs) This is like your moral support. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Following negotiations over three summits held in 1985 in Geneva, 1986 in Reykjavik, and 1987 in Washington, the superpowers signed the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, which eliminated all nuclear-armed ground-launched ballistic and cruise missiles with ranges between 500 and 5,500 kilometres and their infrastructure. Mel, I think it's the bombs that make me lose interest. The bombs and the big ships. I am just not very interested. in You know in what? Because it's
0: so male. It's like, <laughs> it does. don't you think it's just? I mean, so is full it sexist of to say that? No, are we. It, well, are I don't we care about sex. ourselves. I don't, no, we're not because it's all about like dicks and men. Like, look at the look at what what bombs look like. <laughs> look at what like, and they pound into big things. long ships. Yeah, they big long <laughs> ships. Like it is just like I, I'm sure I. I am sure like I remember as a kid, all those war movies like Platoon and all those mm. things thinking I cannot be bothered with these because they're nice. just full of men. And I think that's why like war books and talks of arm races and stuff like that, it's just full of men. Like mm. like men like puffing up their sh- – like have you been watching Married at First Sight? All the no. peacocking <laughs> that's going on at that. It's just like peacocks everywhere. Like – Roosters. My sisters and my sister. The other night, I was watching maths, and they had a dinner party, and one of them stood up. One of the blokes stood up, and then another one stood up. My sister's like, "Oh, roosters. Men are disgusting." (laughs) So it's just. I think that's what it is. It's like all the bombs and stuff. Like if I don't know if if suddenly when Margaret Thatcher is mentioned in the thing, I'm kind of interested a bit, at least, you know, like. But when it's just all men flexing their muscles and. Whoa. Yeah, oh, And it's nerd men too. Politicians are nerd men. They're like they can only flex with bombs and crap because they're nerds. They don't have proper flex. Continue, Kim. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, we've, Mel, got make, so we've got to make nuclear funny somehow,
1: haven't I we? I know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now, Mel, mm. of course, there would have been a number of factors that led to that treaty, but... A notable contribution from Australia mm-hmm. came in the form of 11-year-old Eamon Burke. Do you know the story of Eamon Burke?
0: No. Isn't it Eamon? Oh, no, it's Eamon Flack is the artistic no. director of Belvoir Street Theater. I was like, <laughs> what? Is that going to be? No. That, yeah. <clears throat> okay. Tell me about Eamon Burke. Eamon Burke. Uh,
1: Like a lot of young people at the time, Eamon was very worried about the threat of nuclear war. One figure uh, that I read in amongst my um, research was that 80% Mm. of children feared nuclear war in their lifetime. And, again, when you read through these articles, just the parallels with climate change are really stark, really obvious, you know. So Eamon's mother encouraged him to turn that fear into action. He wrote to the Sydney paper, The Daily Mirror, asking other children to write to him about their fears he received about 105 responses. Wow. This is pre-internet, Mel. These are letters. Mm -hmm. Eamon then wrote to Bob Hawke. He wrote letters to Bob Hawke, Ronald Reagan, and Mikhail Gorbachev. His efforts won him an audience with the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Bill Hayden, and Gorbachev was so moved by the letter that he invited Eamon and his mother to meet with him in the USSR to express his (laughs) concern... Uh, and present a peace scroll signed by hundreds of children.
0: What? This is actually an interesting story that is about a boy slash man. How good is this story? (laughs) This is fantastic.
1: (laughs) Uh, Ronald Reagan at time of print had not responded to the letter. Um, Classic. (laughs) I just thought I'd like to do something about world peace, Eamon said. I asked to see them because if you don't ask, you can't get anything. How great is Eamon's philosophy on life? This is fantastic. This is an Eamon. 11-year-old kid. Eamon's efforts caught the attention of filmmakers um, Pamela Williams and Gillian Coote from Film Australia. They made a documentary about his experience called Mum, How Do You Spell Gorbatroff?
0: Oh, Wow.
1: If you're interested, you can buy the doco for $20 from the National Film and Sound website. And uh, we can pop a link on our
0: website for that. How great was that story? That's so great. There's a picture on on Google of like a little boy who looks like he's in East Berlin. Is that Eamon? Yes. So he looks like he's in a little sailor suit. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I'll wow, I'll... I wonder what happened to Amon. I don't know. I tried to look. Did you look on Facebook as well? You know how I love I to deep dive uh, into it. Yeah,
1: yeah. So you can do a little deep dive. So he was 11 in 1986.
0: Well, you know what? Here's the thing. One of my friends, this is why the name sounds familiar to me, I am sure one of my friends has a brother called Eamon Burke ah. and I'm just looking at Facebook and she does and he'd be about that age. But that surely, would be so weird. But surely we would have heard that, like surely that would be one of their family stories. You know what I'm saying? If Send her a message and ask. Do you, is, I, are you that friendly? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Well, so
1: did you know them at that age? Did you know them? Have you no. known them for years? Shall I just send her a message now? We can yeah. cut this, can't we? Yeah, yeah, and I think it would be amazing if she writes back while we're recording. Yeah, so I'll
0: just send, hey, (laughs) Burks." I'm going to keep this in. Was your brother, Eamon, the Eamon who wrote letters to PM and Gorbachev? Do you need me to spell Gorbachev? Nah, she'll get it. She'll get it from my (laughs) spelling. If if you
1: spell it from the doco, it's G-O-R-B-A-T-R-O-F. Gorbachev.
0: Gorbachev Gorbachev in the 80s. (laughs) Oh, my God. Because he's a little redheaded. They're they're a redheaded family. But then, you know what? Always, like most Burks are going to be redheaded because they'll be Irish, you know. Oh, my God. Wouldn't it be amazing if she came back (laughs) and said... such a Melanie Tate moment. Well, let's let's just keep. We, oh, she's. I've got the dots. I've got the dots. Okay. <laughs> yes, it's him. Oh my god! Oh my god! That's amazing. We're t- we're talking oh about god. him. I'm just writing. We're talking about him on a country podcast. Wow. <laughs> oh wow. Wow. <laughs> How did I not know that? Oh, my God. That's amazing. That's the best. That is the best. Wow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mel, top that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just now taking credit for Okay.
0: This. Well, thanks so much for that social. <laughs> Unbelievable. How are you going to edit that, Kim? How are you going to edit that? <laughs> I think I'm just not.
1: I think I'm just going to leave it all in there. <laughs> After that. (laughs) All right. There were some pretty impressive guesties in this, Mel, not least of which the PM of Australia.
0: Who are you going to talk about? Kim, there are some, like you said, interesting people in this ep. My favourite performance, of course, is Major Clarence Duggan, who's an actor called Ken Fraser. He's actually a recurring character on ACP. Um, As an actor, he's one of those great old-school jobbing actors going between theatre and character parts here and in the UK. And I wonder if he's perhaps the only actor, Kim, who can say that he's been on both well, Home and Away, Rafferty's Rules and Doctor Who. He was on Doctor Who. Wow. Yeah. That's great. The person we're going to zoom in on today, Kim, is someone who's one of the biggest names in the biz behind the camera today. And that's Sarah Lambert. Ooh. Now, Sarah Lambert has a blink and you'll miss her part in this episode as one of Joe Loveday's classmates. The producers must have liked her because she went on to be in something like 30 episodes and morphed into Joe's best friend, Sandy Crosby. Ah. I think she might even be in the wedding episode as one of the bridesmaids, if okay. I recall correctly, with Rebecca I think Rebecca Riggs one of them as well. Um, Sarah Lambert is sort of from a showbiz family. Her sister, now this is a bit of good trivia you'll like. Anne Louise Lambert played one of the most iconic parts ever in Australian film. Anne Lambert. Yep, yeah. the name's familiar. She's Miranda in Picnic at Hanging Rock. Ah. So Sarah's career as an actor started in 1978 in a miniseries called Against the Wind. She went on to do guesties in all the usual suspects, GP, E Street, Police Rescue, Rafferty's Rules, but it's her role as Christina Milano on Heartbreak High, the spin-off from Claudia Carvan yes. Alex Dimitri's film The Heartbreak Kid. It became its own thing, obviously. She's the teacher and uh, it's also about to be revived on Netflix, but she was that blonde teacher, Christina, in it. She's in it for about a season, I think. Sarah looks like she got jack of being an actor nearly 20 years ago and since she's built up this really incredible and enviable career as a screenwriter, Kim. She started out by writing scripts for documentaries and then went on to write individual eps of TV like The Alice and that classic show Love My Way. Mm -hmm. She seems to have been able to, I know, gosh, wait till you just hear about her career. It's amazing. And you know what I think is amazing about it, Kim, is like nowadays with TV stuff, like I find myself, um, producers just want you to go in and be... Phoebe Waller-Bridge right they just Mm. want you to go in with something that's amazing and new and going to knock down all of these you know be really bold and fantastic and it's your first thing and I always think I want to go and work on Home and Away for a while or I want to go and work on and learn how the sausage is made but they just want you to go in with your six-part series that's going to rock the world it sounds to me like Sarah Lambert got to do what I would like to do so she Um, Learned all about writing for TV by writing for shows like A Place to Call Home, Dr. Blake Mysteries and All Saints before creating a bona fide Aussie commercial TV hit, Love Child. Ah. So Love Child, obviously, everybody knows Love Child. It played for four series. It made stars out of Miranda Tapsell, Harriet Dyer, Mandy McElhaney and, of course, um, starred Jessica Moraes. But, Kim, I've heard from several sources close to that production that Love Child the Love Child we saw on TV wasn't the Love Child that Sarah Lambert originally worked on, that it was super-duper commercial TVified, you know, mm-hmm. that um, so I've not seen the original treatment or anything but apparently it was a much darker treatment on a really painful issue which mm. makes complete sense and I'm pretty sure I'd prefer to watch the Sarah Lambert version. Did you ever get into Love Child?
1: No, I've never watched it. And, yeah, you're right, I probably would have watched it if it was something that was made like Love My Way on Foxtel or, you know, ABC or whatever.
0: Closer to Brides of Christ than, like, the thing that commercial TV tends to do with a lot of really great ideas is, I don't know, they just kind of simplify it and colour it up. You Mm. know, they put really coloured, bright costumes and I've got a friend who did the costumes on that and she did a beautiful job. But, Mm. you know, the whole thing, everything's brightened up on commercial TV and sort of... And, yeah, my understanding is that that it was actually meant to be a much darker show than it was. Yeah,
1: I guess the flip side, although maybe this isn't a strong argument in this day and age, but I guess the flip side of it is that it brings uh, this issue to a much bigger audience, although that might have been an argument in the 90s but not so much in the 2020s. Yeah,
0: yeah, and, you know, it gets four series so if it was on Mm. the ABC it probably would have done six episodes and that would be it Mm. um commercial tv has bigger budgets therefore more people are employed and all that kind of stuff but it'd be interesting to talk with her probably in a few years time down the track about about what happened with that show so after that um so now Sarah Lambert is really like the go-to showrunner of shows across Australia so she created and was the boss of the Foxtel series with Essie Davis and Anne Dowd, Lambs of God which won like mm. every award under the sun and her latest projects in development are the adaptations of the podcast The Teacher's Pet
3: Oh and
0: the best-selling How's book. How's that being ad- adapted? Interesting. How are they allowed to? Yeah, I've got a friend who's had to change a chapter of a book that she's writing I just changed her gender um, <laughs> for uh because it <laughs> is seen as like the chapter could be prejudicial to that case. Wow. So I don't know how they get to make a television show about it, but it's in development at the moment. So it could be, you know, fight. Yeah. they could just be doing treatments. Yeah. Um, and also she's working on the best-selling book, The Last Flowers of Alice Hart. So Sarah Lambert Kim basically has our dream career mm. and she started on A Country Practice, but she didn't write letters like Eamon Burke to... <laughs> the Prime Minister, and get to <laughs> travel to Russia. Uh, let's find out how Bob Bob Hawkey, Hawkey
1: Hawks came to be on ACP.
2: Hi, uh, my name's Leon Saunders. Um, I used to write Country Practice many years ago and I'm the writer of the episode in which Bob Hawke appeared, uh, the only time which a sitting Prime Minister has ever appeared in a soap opera television series as far as I know.
0: Leon, how did this storyline come
2: about? It came about because um, a friend of mine called Susan Ballinger, um, <clears throat> who happened to be the sister of um, uh, Helen Caldecott, the uh, renowned anti-nuclear activist. Um, Susan was a psychologist and um, she became aware of research that had been done revealing uh, an alarming amount of young people from teenagers to sort of late 20s who were so worried about the threat of nuclear war. This was back, back in the times of the, of the Cold War. They were so concerned about worried about it, that um, an alarming percentage of them decided it wasn't even worth getting married or having children because okay. there's probably going to be a nuclear war and everybody would get wiped out, which was pretty shocking. So Susan rang me and knowing that I was a writer in country practice and said, look, would you be able to do an episode that incorporated that theme? So I said, okay, well, I'll take it to the producers and you know, see what they say. So at the next plotting meeting, I brought this up and I said, yeah, okay, well, yeah, how would we do it? So we worked out that um, one of the kids at the Waterland Valley School Was behaving very badly, sort of destroying his friend's school projects and all that kind of stuff. And um, when they looked into it more deeply, it turned out that um, he was deeply anxious, and he hadn't been sleeping properly, and he'd been having nightmares about nuclear war. Um, And that was, you know, resulted in his bad behaviour. So then, all the Wounded Valley kids, being Wounded Valley kids, all rallied around him, and (laughs) and um, but then they said, well. Can we do something about this? You know, to to raise awareness for it, and they said, "Yeah, well, we would need to have a like a rock concert. Let's let's say, and um, and that's the theme. You know, anti-nuclear theme. Um, so if we do that, we need to have um, uh, a, a visiting guest star, like." Uh, rock singer or or a politician so we sort of batted nose backwards and forwards and somebody said well what about the prime minister you know and we said but who would you get to play the prime minister you know he's pretty well known and a light sort of went on in my head and i said what about asking the prime minister himself (laughs) so they did and um the rest is history i mean he just um he jumped at the chance. I mean, as we all know, Bob wasn't shy of the media, and um, and it was a good opportunity to to get his message across. So that's how it all came about.
0: So did this all happen relatively quickly? You think about um, if we were to hire, if we were to um, try and get a politician on now, you'd be going through minders, you'd be going through all sorts of jumping through all sorts of hoops, through script approvals, etc. Was there much of that?
2: No. I wasn't involved, of course, in um, the actual sort of hiring of the Prime Minister, but um, as far as I know, it just went through like grease lightning. Um, and it was a pretty, I can't remember the exact time frame, but it was a pretty short space of time between the time he was contacted uh, and when you know the episode was shot, only a matter of a, a few weeks, I think.
0: So Leon, you actually wrote the speech that he delivered. Yes. were there did they want any changes or did he just read it as you'd written it?
2: Not a single word wow. he he read the whole thing well he didn't read it this is to his great credit uh, he delivered it without notes, uh, word for word without changing a word he memorized the whole thing on the plane tip the way they They shot it out at um, a showground near near Richmond, Mm -hmm. um, and near Richmond Air Base for that purpose. So they flew him in on a Hercules. Uh, He landed at Richmond Air Base and he arrived as seen in the episode in the Commonwealth car with the Australian flag flying off the, 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 the fenders. And he was introduced and stepped up onto the stage in the middle of the concert and and read my speech. And that was it. I was just amazing. As I say, he didn't read it. He, he recited it from, from memory.
0: What did that feel like being out amongst, you know, Bob and Cookie and everybody who was out in the crowd watching it and seeing the Prime Minister deliver your speech for, for, you know, the most popular TV show of the day?
2: Oh, well, I was pretty proud of the fact. Um, he, I was introduced to him at the, when his part of it was over as uh, the script writer. And um, he shook my hand, and he said, uh, and it was a terrific speech, well, <laughs> um, I couldn't have written a better one myself, and I can't offer you a greater compliment than that. <laughs> 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 Bob was never known for his humility. <laughs> but, uh, it, it gave me a very, a very proud moment, you know, I, I felt really no chuffed.
0: We're coming up to the 40th anniversary of the first season now. How do you look back on your right. time writing
2: for a country practice? It was a good time for me. Uh, it kept me out of trouble, gave me an income, and but it was a good team to work with. You know all the all the people, these storyliners, and the, you know we're just um, good people. I mean, I did it for oh 12 years. I think the show ran for 12 years. I wrote episode seven. And the last one I wrote, I wrote about 50 episodes altogether. Uh, I must have been reasonably happy with it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How do you think it holds up all these years yeah. later when you go back and watch a couple of episodes? Or do you?
2: Well, I've, I've watched this episode. It's about the only one I've sort of rewatched, And I think it holds up really well. So it was a good thing. I mean, I suppose the only thing I'd like to add is that that wasn't the only good cause that people promoted on the show. Mm. And um, I'm very proud of the fact that it was It was good for stuff like that. At one time, um, there was a desperate need for um, corneas, for corneal eye transplants. hmm and uh they rang the producers and said, "Look, can you do an episode about that?" So we did. that was a disease of the week you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and um um and then they sort of did still they ran the whole campaign with sort of um photos of the cast on the sides of buses and things you know um shouting for uh, for people to uh, donate their corneas when they, when they died. So, uh, there were other, I can't remember the others, but yeah, there were many.
0: So is it the kind of job then as a TV writer where you really felt like you were making a difference? Yes,
2: yeah, so I, I do. Probably more, I mean, I must have written oh, at least 20 different shows mm-hmm. in my uh, TV writing career. And I don't think I felt more proud uh, of the achievement uh, of any of them than I did of, of country practice. It mm. was that kind of show. You know? And you knew it got to everybody. My GP at the time said, um, I was in there for something right one day, and she said, Oh, you know, she's mentioned something about the show. I said, Let me watch it. She said, I have to watch it. And I said, Why? She said, because it runs on Thursday night and next Monday morning all my patients are turning up with the symptoms of this, whatever the disease of the week was on country practice last week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that's Leon Saunders who wrote many, many episodes for A Country Practice. What a great life. Wouldn't that be great to have written many, many episodes for A Country Practice, Kim? <laughs> so who's a, Who's your pick? for Fashions of the Field this week? I, at very
1: first, very first opening shot of uh, the very first episode, Shirley is wearing a cracker of a brown blouse. Yes, it is 80s brown, but it's got some ruffles and it's got some dangly bits, which I was... If if I'd been wearing it, I probably would have dipped them in the bacon and eggs she was cooking. But um
0: I just it she's she is wearing it, Mel. I love it and she is wearing she's it. She's the best.
3: Mm. Um,
0: Kim, I'm gonna say my not fashions of the field favourite was I usually really love so Dye Smith has a beautiful teal dress in it that I loved. Mm, that. Um but she does not bring it to the concert she just doesn't look cool in cool clothes um so i'm gonna say that's my (laughs) (laughs) anti-fashions of the field (laughs) she's She's wearing like a red beret yeah or something it's It's not a baseball cap it's a beret beret, it's so wrong (laughs) but i will say that there is a beautiful um lovely warmth to the silver of terence's thatch um, so that's going to be my fashions of the field. Terence, I love it when Terence is casual and he goes casual for the rock concert. And I'd like to nominate that as my fashions of the field. Fantastic.
1: Well, we'll put those on our Facebook page. That's a country podcast on Facebook. Mel,
0: you're on Twitter. Yes, I'm at Melanie Tate. And I'm at Kim Lester. Um, Huge thanks to Leon Saunders, to Sophie Townsend for helping us find Leon Saunders. Thanks, Sophie. Uh, Thanks, Sophie, to Mike Pajanik for our theme and Nate Edmondson for reimagining it. And uh, if you haven't already, please
1: like us and review us. We're needy, and it's been—you know—it's been a couple of weeks since somebody left us a review. Can you be that person, (laughs)
0: please? Does that sound too nerdy? We really need—no, we really need it for our um, self-esteem. I
1: need it. I am going to need a self-esteem boost after lockdown, after my three whole days of lockdown oh, yeah and i'm
0: definitely
3: gonna <laughs> really need one after easter extend. with
0: my mother so
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> at least
0: um, can you send some self-esteem our way and just a bloody
1: like a and review us at itunes yeah. <laughs> and guess what mel what, this is Kim? so exciting when you when you were a kid which
0: acp character did you most wish you were I wanted to be Joe Loveday because I really wanted to pash Michael Langley. Ah,
1: I wanted to be Joe Loveday because she was just really cool.
0: I see. But that's, that's how
1: boy I was boy crazy.
0: That's why you were. I don't cool. remember Joe and
1: Michael, but I do I distinctly remember playing a game in the playground at school where I was Joe.
0: Oh my god, that's so great. Were you not boy? were you boy crazy? You seem too sensible to be boy not crazy. Not at that
1: age. I was I was probably boy crazy by Maybe 11 or 12 when wow. I had um, Uncle Jesse from Full House posters Oof. all over my wall but Oof, yeah. <laughs> and a little cardboard cutout of him beside my bed. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: great. <laughs> Our next podcast should be looking at Full House. <laughs>
1: and- oh, I don't know if I could do it.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think we'd, the social issues on that wouldn't be quite as interesting as nuclear war. <laughs> Possibly um, not. Him, uh, it's yes, been Joe real. Mitchell, in, case you, in
1: case you missed that um, very, very long tease, Joe Mitchell, Josephine Mitchell is joining us
0: next time.
3: Ooh.
1: And as a special treat, I think we've got to do the wedding,
0: don't we, Joe's wedding? Are you sure we can't do the one that Michael has a car accident in or...? something oh that's a bit grim come on
1: (laughs) I need something happy let's do a
0: wedding it's been like we need weddings in our lives for just this time in our lives you've been in a lockdown we need a
1: wedding for that I'm. I'm. I just want to say, I'm. This lockdown has not been in any way dramatic for me whatsoever. It's been a little bit annoying have my having my kids at
0: home while I'm working, but honestly, it's fine. <laughs> Do you know what though? I would like to suggest Kim that whenever either of us need to go into lockdown, because this Queensland lockdown has made me think it's not over yet. Like we think it's oh, over, no. it's not over for Australia. Yeah, yeah. And it was because this has happened.
1: Almost like on the anniversary of it happening last time. So my son's birthday is um, right before Easter. And last year it was his first kind of birthday in Brisbane and we'd planned Mm. a big party at at like a, a, you know, kingpin. And COVID happened and we had to can it. And then this year um, um, we didn't do a party this year because I don't do parties every year. And my poor almost six-year-old has never had a party, so it's her year. (laughs) 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 <laughs> that's a second child syndrome um but um i sent a message to a couple of parents like the day before saying hey patrick would love to have the boys over um for a bit of basketball tomorrow afternoon if you're free. And then within half an hour, one of them messaged me back and said, I think we might be going into lockdown. You better go do your shopping. <sighs> and then it's right before Easter and our Easter plans have been cancelled. So um it is, it does feel so although it's much shorter and I do have faith that they're gonna get on top of it really quickly. It's so reminiscent of last year. I
0: know, I know it's so stressful, isn't it? Let's just make it a, a thing that From now on, whenever there's a lockdown, we do a wedding episode after it. Yeah, I think that's a good idea because... And then if if there are so many
1: lockdowns that we run out of (laughs) ACP weddings, then we have to just move on to neighbours' weddings and home and away weddings. What's
0: your favourite wedding of all time, your favourite TV wedding of all time? I need to think about it. I need two weeks to think about this. Me too. Watch this space. I think it's probably Diane's on Brides of Christ. I can't Ah. can't think of any other. Her wedding to Jesus. Her wedding to Jesus, because I know that she's not going to, you know, have a life of domestic drudgery. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that was actually a really beautiful scene. It was beautiful. No, I'm just trying to think of an actual. We'll think of one. We better sign out. We better. Okay, so
1: um, season nine, episodes thirteen and fourteen, on the threshold, is what we'll be watching next week. See ya. Bye, Kim.